0: Our Old Testament lesson comes from the prophet Isaiah, beginning in the 25th chapter, starting in the sixth verse. Hear now the word of the Lord. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-matured wines, of rich food, filled with marrow, of well-matured wines strained clear. And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces, And the disgrace of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Fort Street Presbyterian Church likes to eat. You may know that already. I had a conversation with an elder who mentioned while you're here as interim pastors, you can change all sorts of things, but don't touch coffee hour. Maybe it's because people are coming from all over all over Metro Detroit, and that it's important to have a meal because you have a long journey home. Maybe it's just a part of the DNA of the church. But I think it is very telling that today, when sanctuaries across the United States have tables set with cornucopias and gourds and other festive foods that people don't eat, that our table today has cabbages and bags of potatoes and onions because pretty soon that food is going to end up in a pot. It's a part of who Fort Street is. Whether you're here on Sunday morning, gathering and eating a meal, or whether you're here on Thursday morning with our guests, receiving food as a part of the open door, sharing in hospitality, Fort Street Presbyterian Church knows the importance of a good meal. So how fitting today that our scripture passage talks about the feast, that God is preparing for all peoples. It's a fitting reminder for us, as a people that likes having our onions in convenient bags to get into the kitchen as soon as we can, to think about the ultimate destination of all of us and the feast that God is preparing at the end of all things. Our relationship with food in 2018 is a little problematic. In this day and age, due to advancements in technology, our world is more productive than ever before. Agriculture has been transformed over the past few generations. Crop yields have increased dramatically. The supply chain around the world allows for food to make it to just about any corner of the world if you have the energy or the resources to make that happen. But our relationship with food is more strained now than it may ever have been before. Family farms have dwindled to a small percentage of America's productivity. Today, many people are focused on the quality of their food, making sure that people eat only organic or non-genetically modified uh, produce. People are interested in farm-to-table restaurants, At the same time, many of our societies and our communities are marked by what are called food deserts, places where you can't get a good meal. That phrase has actually changed now to be called a food swamp, because the food that is available often has very little nutritional value. Our relationship with food reflects the divisions that we have as a people. Some are very worried about what they're putting into their bodies, while others barely have enough. Those divisions also reflect the distractions we have as a people. Ann and I often have a conversation, when I have cooked a meal that isn't quite what I think is good enough, I will say, well, it fills the void. And Ann gets so angry at me that merely filling the void would ever be what I wanted out of a meal. But that's the truth. Jerry, our building engineer, often has to remind me to go and eat during the middle of the workday because I will plug along and never stop to think about what my body needs. More telling may be those times when I'm sitting at the computer, writing emails or researching my next sermon, and I'm mindlessly grabbing out of that jar of peanuts, every few minutes, another bite, eating eating, eating without notice. We have, in our age of abundance with plentiful distractions and many other things to keep us busy, the opportunity to have food pass by our attention altogether. Such lack of attention would have been impossible in Isaiah's day. There was no industrial food system, no global supply chain, no concepts like genetically modified or food deserts to talk about our food relationships. First century Palestine was an agrarian society. Most everyone knew where their food came from because they grew it themselves. They raised in their own fields what they were going to eat that year, took care of their own livestock. And if they didn't in particular, personally, they knew the person down the road who did an important reminder as we think about food, just what it took to make a feast happen. Today, as we gather for the harvest meal that will take place over in the Great Hall after worship, the feast is a little easier to bring together. Each of us, for the most part, went to the store and bought food and prepared it and brought it here to worship. How wonderful that we could do that, and what a great sign that we are a church that comes together. But that pales in comparison to the scale of the feast that Isaiah is proclaiming. A feast of rich food, of well-matured wines for all peoples. We think such a meal is possible because we have illusions of ourselves delusions of what we think we can accomplish in terms of feeding people. The reality is, is that only God can create such a feast that creates opportunities for everyone. But also, this feast, we miss the image of how the feast comes together and how it is based on all of the relationships that made the food possible that ends up at our dinner tables. A feast is a celebration of the relationships that made that food possible. In Isaiah's day, that was much easier to remember because people were involved in raising and cultivating the food throughout the year until the feast took place. We forget that a feast in the age of the prophet Isaiah was intended to celebrate all of the relationships that allowed that food to be there and for those people who gathered to be there. It's the fuller concept of the word shalom. The Hebrew word means peace, of course, but it's not merely just the absence of conflict or war. Shalom is a wholeness of relationships. Shalom is living rightly in relationship to the earth and the things that grow from the earth. Shalom is living rightly with your neighbor in a community that allows everyone to prosper. Shalom is recognizing that all the gifts we have come from the God who provides the rain that falls every day. Shalom is the celebration that comes in a feast. So it is fitting in the prophet Isaiah's words that this feast proclaims a shalom that actually repairs those relationships. Relationships that are strained, just like our food relationships today are strained, with all sorts of disgrace, of tears on our faces, and a world that remains divided. We still have that shroud around us today. But we have the promise of God, that promise that says God will indeed wipe away the tears from all faces, for the Lord has spoken. That is the feast that we await with expectation. But we don't wait passively. This image of a feast is one that Jesus used regularly in parables about wedding banquets and being invited into the feast that is taking place within the kingdom of God. And so we, too, are called to be a people of the table, called to gather together, to feast now while life is the way it is today, in the hope and in the promise that God will set this table for everyone. And that there will be a day that we can say, just like our prophet Isaiah has mentioned, that this is our God and we have waited for this moment. At that moment, we can indeed say, let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. But for now, when we gather, our feasts will look a little bit differently because we indeed still have many reasons to have Suffering and despair. But all the same, as we gather, we recognize that the presence of Jesus is in our midst. And the way that we gather, the way that we come together for the feast, brings light in and reminds us of what is to come. We see glimpses in how we are at the table together. This is the table of hope, not in the hope where we can put on a smile, even though deep down we really are feeling the wounds and hurt, the joy that feels plastered on, the kind of joy that often shows up in the holidays when long-lost relatives come together or families gather again, or isn't quite the picture book Gathering, as people often would like to present. The holidays actually are a time when loneliness often feels the most poignant. But all the same, when we gather at this table, it provides us an opportunity to sit in solidarity with one another, knowing that the journey of life has its sorrows and its joys. But when we gather at the table together, new life indeed emerges. Henry Nouwen wrote a book called Can You Drink the Cup? And his book reminds us of the question of can we drink the cup that is set before us in our life? And in that book, he tells the story of Bill. Bill is a young gentleman who joins the community large daybreak that Henry participates in in Toronto in the story. Bill doesn't have much of a past history that he wants to tell. The memories are too difficult. Bill most likely has special needs, but also he has stories of being abused and mistreated growing up as a child. But gathering at the table at the arch daybreak, he finds a new story emerges within him. And as a part of the celebrations that take place, as a part of the feasting rhythms that come in this community of faith, Bill begins to tell a new story. He actually writes it in a book that becomes his life story book. There in the community that gathers and celebrates and feasts, Bill is able to tell a new story about his life, about where he belongs, about where he finds purpose, how his life has meaning. And as that book is written, even those difficult moments of his life, he finds a way to be grateful for those experiences. Such a transformation takes place in the community that gathers to feast and to celebrate. Not to paper over the difficulties of life, but rather to wait expectantly in the hope that God will bring something new when we gather Together. Now and reminds us when we lift the cup of our life and share with one another our sufferings and joys in mutual vulnerability, the new covenant can become visible among us. The surprise of it all is that it is often the least among us who reveal to us that our cup contains blessings. Such a transformation comes together with a community that feasts in the midst of our sorrows and our joys. But we know, because God has promised it, and Jesus came to earth to make that promise fulfilled. Not just by giving us the word, but by giving his very life. So that we too can become a community that feasts, not just on beautiful words, but on the kinds of foods that are set before us on the harvest table today. May we continue to use what we have, what God has given us in gratitude, to widen the table, to offer more spaces so that more people can come and find at this table their sorrows and their joys are heard. And they too can wait expectantly for the feast that God is preparing. Amen.